Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. All right, wandering the desert. Um, as a bear, <laughs> I don't really appreciate wandering the desert. And some of us don't appreciate wandering the desert regardless of who we are, because it can be rather difficult. But before we go too much into the serious stuff, I have a question for you. Why do panda bears, when they print out photos, get a really good discount? Because they're mostly black and white photos. I see some shaking heads. I always love that. I love the shaking heads. So <clears throat> last week and the previous weeks, I talked about that in the Lenten season, the inspiration comes from two desert stories, one from the Hebrew scriptures, one from the Christian scriptures. Today, I want to talk about the desert story that probably most of you are familiar with, um, with Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, wandering in the desert for 40 years, and then finally entering the promised land. Not Moses, but the Israelites. And it's a very significant story because when we look at the symbolism of the places, the characters, the things that are mentioned, it has a lot to do with our own spiritual journey. And it's very appropriate to review this desert story as we go through this Lenten season. Remember, Lent is about finding ourselves, preparing ourselves for Holy Week, where we then are ready to let go what no longer serves us, crucify that part that is not real, and then resurrect as someone new, someone more real, someone who's found more truth about themselves. So this is a map of what the Israelites actually did. At least that's the assumption from archaeologists and anthropologists and scholars, biblical scholars, that studied this and they kind of think, okay, this is on the, all the way on the left there, Ramesses, is where they started. And then they got all around. You can see it's not just a straight shot to um, the promised land. And that's why it took them so long. Right? Now remember what 40 means? However long it takes, right? And this is just an example of how our lives really look like, don't they? Have we ever thought, have we ever had anything that went from A to B in a straight shot? Maybe if we're lucky, but most of the time, it looks like this, right? We go up and down and left and right, and then we go in circles, and then we go backwards, and then we go forward, and that is really a representation of life. 
So all the way on the left, we have Egypt, and all the way on the right, we have, or on the top right there, we have the Promised Land. And when we look at that map, what I want to point out is on the bottom right there, you might not see it, just to the right, there's the land of Meridian, or Midian, sorry, land of Midian. At the time when Moses got the command by God, to help the Israelites out of Egypt. He was in exile. He wasn't in Egypt. He was in Midian. He was taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law. And he was basically a very humble man, unassuming, not really thinking about himself too much. Definitely not thinking that he could do anything great. That's where it all starts. And then, at some point, he saw the Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is just a little bit to the left at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, Peninsula, just right at the bottom, the number eight, if you can see it. It says Mount Sinai, and then in parentheses, Horeb. They're exactly the same mountain, but they show up in different times in Exodus. At the very beginning, the burning bush is happening on Mount Horeb. That's when Moses was in exile from Egypt. Remember, he was born in Egypt, and then he was exiled because he was no longer wanted. And here he sees something happening on Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are considered to be God's mountain. That's when God speaks to us. Metaphysically, what that means is when we lift ourselves up as high as possible, start resonating with who and what we truly are, that's when we hear God speak. And in this story, Moses hears God speak out of the burning bush. God saying, I am the true God. I am that I am, which we use often in unity. It's a reminder that we are the I am. The I am is God, and we are the I am also. Perfect oneness. No separation, no limitation, nothing. The only limitation that comes is through our own doing. And we just heard in the absolute word today, the word is dominion. The power of dominion, the power of mastery. Our task is to master our godliness, to master that infinite potential. So God speaks out of the burning bush to Moses. Moses, Moses kind of like is scared, right? In, 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 the, in Exodus, we read that now go, that's God speaking to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's really interesting to know and important to understand that up to this point, God has only made the promise to the Israelites that he will bring the Israelites home. It has only been a promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But because the Israelites were so much suffering in Egypt and they were crying out to God, God finally said, yes, I am going to do something. And Moses was tasked with doing that. Remember, Moses, not a great king, not a great leader, 
a simple shepherd taking care of the flock of his father-in-law, didn't have much, didn't own anything, wasn't wealthy. He wasn't really a person of importance. And yet, God gives him that huge task. Now, we need to understand what some of this means, right? So, this is not just something that Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, came up with. A lot of it comes from what the Hebrew word means of Moses, for example, what the towns mean. There's a lot of symbolisms that are hundreds and thousands of years old that are captured. And Charles Fillmore and other scholars have put together something that's called the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary and then interpreted some of these uh, symbols. And Moses, simply enough, means to draw out. To draw out our spirituality and bring it forward, bring it out, no longer hiding. And you can relate to that because up until God speaks to Moses, Moses was kind of hiding. He was in exile. And often, if we truly look at ourselves, don't we feel like that too? That we are in exile of our own fruition, our own spiritual fulfillment. And so here is the task. That's what really this story is about. It's about ourselves. To bring more truth out and to let it shine. Mount Horeb, I already mentioned, means God's mountain. But it also means higher spiritual awareness. This is when we pray and meditate together, when we uplifting our thoughts, when we see that we may be a little negative for a moment, and then we shift our focus away from negativity to positivity. That's when we climb up that mountain. And if we climb the mountain Horeb and get all the way to the top, where God is, that's when we completely surrender to our own divinity. It's the highest form of thinking and feeling and being and acting. Okay, this is not working today. So, burning bush. Truth can never be destroyed. Spiritual fire eradicates what is not true. The reason why the bush was not consumed is a symbol of we, have, we don't have to be afraid. When the fire comes, the fire of truth comes. When we light ourselves on fire, symbolically speaking, it will only be able to eradicate what is not true. What will remain will always be true. That is the symbol of the burning bush. That's why God spoke so clearly to Moses. Because God spoke truth. And Moses eventually realized that. I am that I am, God's true name, our own divine nature, the Israelites. Why do we care about the Israelites? Well, is it just about the Jewish people? No. It's about all of us. We're all the Israelites, symbolically speaking. In that story, we are all, whether we're Christians or Muslims or atheists or agnostics, it doesn't matter. We're all Israelites because the Israelites mean God's people. All of us, higher spiritual awareness once again. When we lift ourselves up, when we are willing to see it better, see it more kindly, be more loving, that's when we become the Israelites.
And at the moment in this story, the Israelites are in darkness, which is, okay, let's do this again. What Egypt means. Egypt represents darkness, but it also represents the body. It's essential. It's our human body, but it also represents our darkness. The dark thoughts, when we are really hard on ourselves. And with that, the Pharaoh is the force that rules the body. So in this story, the Pharaoh and Egypt is, you know, are really the antagonists. They're, they're kind of like the bad, the bad people that we need to get away from. Emily Cady, who's one of the Unity authors, she talks about bondage. When we are in Egypt, we're in bondage. We're not really free. We're not really who we are. But that's what we do to ourselves. When we remain in darkness, when we enslave ourselves to all the things that are really not that relevant for our own fulfillment, that's when we are in Egypt. And I think most of us probably can relate to that probably several times a week, several times a day, maybe even. And if you're really listening, maybe even several times an hour, we have that tendency to be really hard on ourselves and to enter Egypt, that darkness, so often. So, but then Moses at first says, remember he was unassuming, humble, he was in exile. He didn't think much of himself. And who cannot relate to that, right? Moses represents us, okay? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I can't do this. How often have we thought about that? How often have we been asked to do something courageous, something meaningful in our lives, something that would have given us the freedom that we sought so, for so many years, and yet we were asking ourselves, when given the opportunity, well, who am I to do this? But then God says, I will be with you. I will always be with you. That's the promise I made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so many others. I will be with you. You're not doing this alone. And that's really key to understand when we enter the desert. In a way, we must enter the desert once in a while for us to get perspective. We must be willing to look at the desert and to be alone in the desert, to go, as the Australians would say, on a walkabout, without distraction, without anyone telling us anything, be with ourselves, our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own truth, we must do that once in a while, and especially Lent is a perfect time to do that, and then resonate with that. And we might also say, just like Moses, who am I to do anything? We might get in touch once we get quiet. I'm sure you all have done this before. Once you're willing to get quiet, what happens? We start hearing the truth, right? because we're willing to shut off what's not important. We're willing to turn off the TV that's blaring negativity all day long. We're willing to stop interacting with people who are negative all the time 
and only see the worst in things. And we become true. We no longer have to put a face on, a mask on for someone else. We no longer have to pretend when we're about ourselves in the desert, we can just be us because no one cares in that moment, but we do. And we may say, who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should do this? Who am I that I should draw out my own spirituality? Who am I that I should be spiritually enlightened? The idea of awakening and enlightenment is put so far away from us, it's ridiculous. It's the same thing as putting Jesus on a pedestal thinking that we will never be just as Jesus, while the opposite is absolutely true. We already are Christ. We just need to learn to bring it out. But God will always be with us. And it doesn't matter how we believe in God, whether it's the, the big bearded guy up in the sky, or whether it's the universal nature, or whether it's principle. It really doesn't matter in the end. We choose that God that we choose to believe in, and we resonate with that God, and that God will be with us at all times. You shall serve God on this mountain. When we walk up that mountain, the mount of God, that's when we are in perfect service. And you can often tell that when we let go of everything that keeps us away from who we truly are, when we let go of all that, when we truly surrender, the Hindu practice of Ishvara Pranidhana, surrendering, complete surrender to God, to the flow of life, when we truly do that, that's freedom. So, as the story goes, Moses then finally says, okay, I'll, I'll do it, God. Went to the Pharaoh and said, hey, I want to take the Israelites out. And Pharaoh said, oh, no, no way. <laughs> then a couple of these plagues happened, right, 10 plagues. And then the Pharaoh finally said, okay, you go. We, we can't take this anymore. And then um, Moses finally is on his way. Um, oops, there you go. Um, it's another joke coming up. So Moses is finally on his way out of Egypt, right? So, and, and I forgot where the slide went in. You know? And, and when, when, when you go into the desert, you've got to be prepared. You've got to bring some essentials, right? And just like socks. So do you know what color socks bear, bears wear? What do you think? What color socks do bears wear? They don't wear any socks. They all go barefoot. <laughs> so as we know, as we know, after, after the Israelites left Egypt, you know, and, and, and approached the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh changed his mind and sent all his troops after them, and then go, went and split the Red Sea and let the Israelites through, but then, you know, let the sea collapse onto the troops of the Pharaoh, and they were finally free from that threat. Very powerful story. There's a lot to it. The, the staff has a lot to do with it, and our consciousness has a lot to do with it. But in brief, it's really about being able to 
overcome even the biggest obstacles and we can leave our negativity behind. We can let it drown as long as we continue to draw out the truth of who and what we are. So again, we are now a little bit further along that journey. We're past Egypt. We're now going into the other lands there, um, crossing the Red Sea, and then we are finally in the desert, and desert has a really important meaning, which I already mentioned. Here is just a couple of them. That comes, again, from the revealing word from Charles Fillmore. It's a, it's a place where we often experience lack. That's one interpretation, right? But in truth, these desert places that we experience as lack, they don't exist. It's an imagining we're imagining that there is lack. Instead, from the viewpoint of spirit, from God's point of view, there is no lack, and therefore, where God is, there are his inexhaustible resources, so that's Charles Fillmore in his 100-year-old language saying this, God is everywhere present, so the way to view the desert is when we enter it, we may experience some lack. We may experience aloneness or hopelessness. We may experience some form of separation from who we believe we are, but we already know we're really not truly our dad. So we must remember that from God's perspective, the desert is not lack at all. It provides us with everything. To the least, it provides us with an ability to recognize, to calm down, to be at peace, and to learn to be more. The next thing that happens is the Israelites got hungry, right? And then the manna came from, from the heavens. Remember that in the story? The, the white stone ceremony actually makes a reference to that story through John, who wrote the book of Revelation in the Christian scriptures. He talks about that manna, which is really that manna that God let rain from the heavens, okay? As a symbol, again, against lack. The Israelites were afraid because all they saw in the desert is lack, is when we are afraid of not being able to pay our bills or we lack love or we lack anything in life. That's when we often cry out to God, please help me, and God often responds, as he does in this story, by letting it rain, mana, that bread of life, which is what its symbol is. And the other thing about this bread of life, God says, don't store it. Just eat it. Don't try to hoard it and put it in a big locker or a safe or something. And of course, what did the Israelites do? Exactly that. And then what happens? The manna spoiled, right? So another lesson is that sometimes the abundance that we get is in the moment, and we should cherish that in the moment and not trying to hold on to, not trying to create an attachment around it, but to freely receive what is given and to trust that it will always be given when we need it. So that's a place means sense of lack, and then mana is the opposite, the bread of life. So when we are in the desert, we often feel that lack, and then 
we will be given the abundance. And the way we see it in unity is it's already here. We already are abundant. We already are prosperous. We just need to recognize it. We need to shift our attention. What's a bear's favorite dessert? <laughs> Speaking of food, right? What's a bear's favorite dessert? Blueberry pie, yes. Very good. That's the last one, I promise. <laughs> so then we have the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, in this place now, he's back on Mount Horeb, or Mount, Mount Sinai. In the story now, they're calling it Mount Sinai, but it's the same mount. And he goes up there by himself. By the, by the way, in the scripture, it says the mountain is on fire. Last time, the bush was on fire when God spoke his real name. And now the mountain is on fire, and Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And he also receives a couple more things. Moses is supposed to uh, build the tabernacle according to uh, God's design and the, the Ark of Common and all this stuff. And um, Moses was up there by himself because the Israelites are not ready yet. They're not ready to meet God. They're still too frazzled, too scared, too unaware. But Moses was ready. And he told the Israelites, Moses told the Israelites, don't do anything, just wait for me. And guess what? Already explained that. What did the Israelites do in the meantime? Right? Built the golden calf, which is a symbol from the Canaanites, the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. They were worshiping the promised land through the golden calf instead of worshiping the only one God. We believe in only one presence and one power. We don't believe in an equal force that we call evil. But yet, we sometimes build a golden calf even in our lives. We make certain things in our lives just as important as God. The kind of car we drive, how fancy our house looks, where we go on vacation. Sometimes, if we're really honest, sometimes we will put God in the back seat and say, that's really important to me right now. That's how I fulfill myself, by buying something fancy or do something. And there's no judgment about doing that. It's how we relate to it. Right? That's why in so many Eastern traditions, it's very common to learn to put God first. And that's really what God is asking here. This is the tabernacle. They eventually started building that. There's a lot to do it, God's design and all that. Here it is, the setting up of the tabernacle means the establishment of a new state of consciousness. Man builds his own mind, his character, and his body God furnishes the design. Going back to the absolute word, power of dominion, mastery. We are the carpenters. We are the builders. We are the activity of God. And we build according to law, to law, to God's law. We build our own life. We build our own destiny. We build our own plan. We do that individually and as a community. God is the design, is the potential, and we are the creators. 
together with that potential. Here we have Moses and Joshua at the very end of Exodus, um, worshiping kind of like the Ark of Covenant. There's a lot to do that to, to that, and we just uh, rush through this. It basically just represents that spark of divinity. It's a very special thing, the Ark of Covenant, because in the end, and here Moses already passed. Remember, Moses was never to see the promised land. It was Joshua who became the leader of the Israelites and then took the Ark of Covenant into the river of Jordan toward the town of the city of Jericho. And as, the, as he was placing the Ark of Covenant, which is really what God represents, something very similar happened then when Moses split the Red Sea. All of a sudden, the Jordan River start, stopped flowing so that the Israelites can safely pass into the promised land. So this is the story of this first desert story. And it's remarkable because when we look at Joshua, it's another name for Jesus. It's another name for us. Jesus being a man who understood the Christ self, the divine self, and being able to express it, Joshua being the same thing. It's the Savior. But it's not a Savior that lived two and a half thousand years ago, or Jesus living two thousand years ago. It's the Savior within us. We have the ability and the mastery and the dominion to do so. Okay? We always have to remember that. The I am that I am. So what does it all mean? Truth can never be destroyed. Even when we are on the fire, sometimes that's a good thing. We can trust that the only thing that goes away and that's being eradicated is what is not true. Moses means to draw out. We draw out our spirituality by lifting ourselves up into higher stage of consciousness, which is what the Israelites are about. We wander around the desert, however long it takes. For some of us, it takes a little less time. For others, it takes a little more time. And guess what? It really doesn't matter. It's all part of life. We follow God's law. If you translate the Ten Commandments, they're actually quite beautiful. If you look at the symbols that are mentioned in the Ten Commandments, they're actually perfect for us as a guidance in life. And then finally, we get to enter the Promised Land. And guess what? The Promised Land, as I said it before, is to return to the Garden of Eden. So there's a moment that we may find ourselves in the desert. And we may experience the desert as lack, and yet the desert is necessary for however long it takes, because there's stuff for us to learn. We need to experience, as human beings, Egypt, the darkness, to separate it from light. We sometimes need to understand that, yes, we are desperate, yes, we are craving um, the good things in life. 
and sometimes we feel like we're not giving what we deserve. We need to build that trust that in God, in that infinite potential that we have access to, that we are part of, there's always going to be given what we need because we always deserve what we need at all times. We just need to learn to see it. There's only one God and one presence in our lives and in the universe. There's not two, there's not three, there's no, no symbols, and the more we remember that, I think the happier we will be. And finally, we are deserving to enter the promised land. We are deserving to be fulfilled, to be awakened, to come alive, to be present, to be divine. And we are deserving to get back to that Garden of Eden. Remember what I talk, talked about? It's not the original sin. It's the original blessing. The blessing is that we learn to live in a body as hot as, as it might get in a bear suit, <laughs> as suffering as it might be, but we are deserving to be everything we ever wanted to be and to be loved for who we are without a mask, without pretending, without putting all this stuff together for us. So let us take that into meditation for today. Oh, I have one more thing. Catherine Doherty, a Canadian Catholic, uh, lay, lay Catholic person, said this about Lent. Lent is a time of going very deeply into ourselves. What is it that stands between us and God, between us and our brothers and sisters, between us and life, the life of the Spirit, whatever it is, let us relentlessly tear it out without a moment's hesitation. And as we continue this journey in Lent, I hope we all remember that, to be relentless about tearing out, about burning up what is no longer true, so that together we all emerge more brightly as the light we already are. And now with that, let's take some mom a moment. imagine for a moment that we are the Israelites in Egypt. Whatever it is that we find that is in darkness right now within our lives, let's not pretend it's not there. Let's not pretend we're doing better than we actually are. 
and let's recognize it as part of life, part of truth, part of reality. And now let us imagine that we are this unassuming person, this shepherd, who doesn't have any sheep of his own, but takes care of that of his father-in-law. We are that person who is in exile, who has been kicked out, has been rejected. We're that person who doesn't think much of himself. And then we, things change. We start to listen. We see the fire, the fire that burns everything away that is not true. We listen so deeply that we get to hear God's true name, our true name. And silently we can whisper that name to ourselves right now. I am that I am. Let's do this together. I am that I am. And feel it. Once more, I am that I am. And as the fire burns the bush and eradicates everything that is full of regret and concern and fear and worry, we slowly start to see the truth within ourselves. We may still be unsure and say, why, why, I, I, that's not mine to do. And yet, we get to build up our confidence that we can do this, to draw out what is ours to do. And yes, it may be scary, it may be a big task, facing the Pharaoh, facing the darkness that's deeply within us, a darkness that many of us may have developed over decades. And yet we are using that fire, that burning bush, that shining light, and also God's help the help of our own divinity to enter that deepest place. Because even the darkest, the most horrible ways we can think of ourselves, even the most regretful things we have ever done have a spark of divinity within them. And with the power of Moses as a symbol of who and what we are, we draw that spark of divinity out of that darkness and we leave that darkness behind. 
So out of that darkness, we wander. We wander the desert. And whether we see lack in our lives or we see opportunity, we just keep wandering, we keep experiencing, we keep having our ups and downs. But we now know that we have the ability to leave the darkness, leave it behind. We can raise the staff of dominion, of mastery, and split the seas to be safely across. And we walk the valleys and we climb the mountains as we experience our challenges and we learn to lift ourselves up more and more in life. And eventually we just simply hear it all the time. God's voice, our voice, a powerful voice, a reminder of the truth of who and what we are. We lay down the law, we follow God's law. We change our lives and we learn to trust. We build our lives, we build our future according to our own desires. And we surrender. Surrender to the light, to the truth, to love. Surrender to kindness, compassion, and beauty. Surrender to grace and holiness. Surrender to simply being. Surrender to the I am. So let us give thanks for these wonderful stories and the symbolisms behind them. Let us give thanks for being willing to take a moment in quiet contemplation and allow that gratitude to resonate throughout our lives. Let's give us thanks, give thanks to all of us who help each other to be accountable for the things we are, things we do, and be grateful for the many things in our lives. And allow Moses and this story to come alive for us. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org. 